The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Power Lunch. I'm John Fort. In today for Tyler Matheson, here is what's ahead. Lots of green this Friday on Wall Street. Inflation expectations fall. Retail sales rise. Is this a sign equities are on the road to recovery? Kelly? Thanks and welcome. And while it's a good day for the broader markets, it's been a tough week for software. Estimates cut. Target prices slashed. Multiples compressing. The sector on pace for its worst week since February of 2021. This hour, we're finding value plays amid the deepening slump. But first, to Dom Chu with a check on today's rally. All right, so Kelly, the Dow, the S&P 500, and NASDAQ are all positive, as John just pointed out. But the real outperformer right now is the Dow, up nearly 2%. Now, at the highs of the day, we were up roughly 658 points. At the low, still up around 145. So that's just to give you an idea of the range so far. The NASDAQ is the underperformer, if you want to call it that. It's only up 1.5%. Now, from a sector perspective, definitely seeing that outperformance in the financials, driven in no small part by bank earnings out of two of the big ones out there in particular, Citigroup and Wells Fargo. Now, believe it or not, Citi is the best-performing stock in the entire S&P 500, after it reported better than expected profits and revenues, strengthened its sales and trading units was part of that story. It's also making more money given the rise in interest rates. Wells Fargo is also up big despite a mixed report where profits topped estimates, but revenues missed. Wells did, though, say that it sees credit losses headed higher in the future, albeit from very low levels right now. And by the way, among the four big banks that have reported earnings so far, only Citigroup has beaten Wall Street revenue estimates. As for some of the other stocks in the headlines, still watching a surge in shares of Pinterest right now after a Wall Street Journal report cited sources as saying activist hedge fund Elliott Management had taken a nine plus percent stake in the social media platform. Also, watch the solar stocks like Enphase Energy, Solar Edge, First Solar, Sunrun, others. That's following an NBC News report citing sources that said Democratic Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia will not support a bill increasing spending to address climate change. So many of those alternative energy stocks like those solars, Kelly and John, off on the day. Back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you. Let's stay on the markets. There are several big questions investors are asking themselves. Has inflation peaked or not peaked? Is it 75, 100, maybe even 50 basis points for the Fed's next hike? And is it a soft landing or a full recession that cometh? No matter what the answers are, there's ways to invest. Let's bring in Ann Barry. She is Threadneedle Ventures founder. And it's good to see you. I guess we'll just take it piece by piece. Starting with inflation, where, you, where are we after this week, do you think? I think that perhaps we are coming to the peak, Kelly, but we're not sure yet. And until we're sure and until the Fed is sure, I think there's continued risk that rates go up faster than expected. And as a result, we know the impact of that on these glamorous tech stocks and growth stocks. I'm staying away for the moment. So I will probably miss miss the bottom, but I'm waiting to get a bit more certainty before going back into a lot of these. So you're not eager to jump back into that trade just yet. And that's interesting because we just heard that it might be kind of a soggy earnings season to get through first. So that brings us to the Fed then, the big question. How important is it for you as an investor about the size of the hike they're likely to do in a week or two? 
Well, the, the approach I'm taking right now, Kelly, is I'm trying to invest rather than trade. And the distinction between the two is really trying to find thematics that I think will uh, survive through an upcoming recession and create value over the, the much longer term. You know, one of those I'm looking at very closely is in the music space. It's one that I've invested in privately, particularly on the event side. Private equity like Apollo and KKR has been spending huge amounts of money on music libraries and catalogs in recent years. So I'm looking at things like Warner Music, where there is good headline growth in the music sector, 9% CAGA coming up, where there are opportunities for tech to be more infused into that industry. That's the kind of thematic I'm spending my time on, trying to stay away a little bit from the volatility that's more, more Fed rate related. And what do you make of the market action this week? I mean, we got a hotter than expected CPI number. We got banks building up loan loss reserves. And yet um, on the S&P, we're ending about even for the week after a, a big dip. That, that seems to me to show that there's a lot of optimism in the market. And I'm not sure that's a great sign. John, I think there's too much optimism in, in the market right now. And the reason I say that is I look overseas. Uh, we've seen the data and the expectation coming out from China that GDP growth is coming down significantly. We still don't know that supply chain shortages are done. And I think the expression that you use, which was a soggy earnings season, is exactly the right one. So I find the optimism we're seeing in the market today a little bit perplexing. I, I'm definitely more pessimistic than where it seems to be shaking out this Friday. How do you read the consumer, which is going to be so important in Q4, given that savings rates are coming down and also yeah. consumer credit seems to be coming in. Consumers seem to be a little iffier about putting stuff on the credit card as inflation remains high. What does that say potentially about the type of spending patterns we might see after summer's over? And, and is all of that priced in uh, to the movement that we've seen this week? This issue of consumer spending and also the loss rates on some consumer credit, John, is exactly where I'm actually the most nervous. And specifically when we think about what that means as it translates into ad spending, when it comes to consumer products companies looking at their marketing budgets, which tends to be the first thing to get hit when you see a slowdown in consumer sentiment, I don't think we have seen the market yet fully factor in what could happen as real savings continue to be depleted because inflation still is too high, as consumer confidence, despite the decent data today, continues to perhaps be ruffled and when we start to see labor market data get weaker because that will absolutely come, I don't think we've seen all the bad news filter through yet, either so far this summer or into the market expectations we're seeing right, uh, right now. And that's why I actually, I, I like your stock picks because they hardly reflect a super defensive positioning. I mean, you're looking maybe at net Netflix, maybe at PayPal, Warner Music. You know, these are these take some cojones. Thank you. Well, uh, let's see how that works out. But definitely on the Warner Music thing, that again comes back to I think there are good macro um, pieces of evidence historically that music has tended to be recession resistant. The industry is underpenetrated in streaming compared to the video space. PayPal, Kelly. I mean, that is one. I'll be very transparent. I put money into that over the last two years, so I'm down on my PayPal position. But I do look at what's happened with Klarna's down round. I look at what happened with Stripe's down round. And at least what I'm seeing now is rationality is beginning to set into FinTech valuations more broadly. And PayPal still has the benefit of scale. It has the benefit of a good cash position. And I think it's got the ability to learn from some of the mistakes of these other product innovators. And it's growing its share in buy now, pay, pay later. PayPal is growing its share in business credit cards. So that's one where I say perhaps it is going to take a little bit of metal, but I think the longer term uh, positioning of PayPal 
could be a lot more attractive than its valuation today suggests. Yeah, it's hard to do anything but think long term with the way this market is lately. And thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And Barry. Uh, one of today's market drivers, the better than expected retail sales, showing that the consumer continues to remain uh, resilient even as inflation remains high. Sales were up 1%, sending the major retail ETFs higher. While traders are applauding the rise, our next guest says the numbers are making one thing clear. We're entering an environment where all boats will no longer float. Joining us is Jerry Storch, CEO of Storch Advisors, also former CEO of Toys R Us and Hudson's Bay. Jerry, how are these numbers showing us that all boats won't float? Well, look, uh, the worst performers by far, the big losers were department stores and apparel stores. In fact, over a three-year basis, when you look to the pre-pandemic June compared to this June, sales were actually negative down in department stores during a period when retail sales as a whole were up 32%. So that's a massive loss of market share. Sometimes we uh, kind of lose things with the puts and takes over, you know, during the pandemic, one year after, et cetera. But basically, the trends from before the pandemic are being even exaggerated by what's going on. So let's take a look at e-commerce. E-commerce sales are up 64% versus June 2019 before the pandemic. So that's double the rate of growth of retail sales as a whole. So department stores, mall-based apparel stores, companies that never really fixed their strategy. You know, we saw that with Gap. We saw that with Bed Bath & Beyond. When we take a look at their results. Those companies are going to be in a world of hurt as we go forward from here. But I'm a little confused because Amazon's way down, right? And investors seem to have largely backed away from that uh, pull-through narrative during the um, during the pandemic. That oh, we got all years worth of growth in just months, and this has accelerated us toward the future. You know, the stock auction in, in Amazon suggests, well, maybe not. And yet, Prime Day was very strong, uh, historically strong, even as department stores are down. What should investors take from that? I think e-commerce is here to stay and it's growing very, very rapidly. And, you know, I, I think Amazon kind of got a bad knock. They reported first. They are in a calendar year or the other retailers are on a retail year. So it's a month off. So Amazon reported first. People said, oh, my gosh, look how terrible Amazon did in the first quarter. And then we heard from Target and then we heard from Walmart and so many others who really demonstrated even greater problems, you know, than Amazon showed. Meanwhile, Amazon, they overbuilt their capacity. There's no doubt about that. But that means they have room to grow. They have they have headwind, uh, head uh, they have tailwind. They're going to keep growing, growing, growing. So I would never bet against Amazon. I thought that was a mistake when people were doing it. I think it's a mistake now. Jerry, let's turn to some of the winners here. Very familiar names, Costco, but maybe the, the likes of TJX and Home Depot are a little more controversial. You think they're going to come out of this fine? I do. Well, look, Home Depot was strong before the pandemic. They were incredibly strong during the pandemic, and they're still strong. I think they're a big winner over the long term, capturing, again, massive market share, which in retail is everything. TJ Maxx, they didn't have the strongest pandemic, because let's, let's base it, uh, face it, their stores are, is where the action is, not online for them. But now that they're open again, they're going to come back. You know, their market cap is still more than the entire department store industry combined. All of them are worth less than TJ Maxx, and they're where the consumer wants to be. Value is the name of the game. It always has been, but it's especially so during the times of high inflation and maybe the kind of problems we're going to see with the consumers who get to the back half of the year. So a company like TJX is very well positioned, hmm. as would someone, for example, like Dollar General be. Even Target and Walmart, who obviously disappointed with the way they handled the last quarter, 
are going to do a lot better when we get to the second half of the year. Jerry, I want to ask you how you read this, because uh, it's a couple of numbers that have been on my mind for the past few days. <laughs> One of them is the, the savings rate, which is down, right? The, the banks are talking about how, yes, customers still have more savings in their accounts than they did before, but they seem to be spending that down pretty quickly. And then consumer credit, which uh, has been historically high anyway, consumers seem to be getting a little bit more hesitant to put more on the credit card. Perhaps understandably, well, given that interest rates are going up, right? But what does that mean for the second half of the year? And are we thinking enough about that? Obviously, the consumer is very strong now. You know, the numbers we saw today, which were strong, didn't even include travel or transportation or a hotel and lodging. Those are in a totally different report. And you know those are way up. So the consumer is spending right now. But, you know, they're spending money that they saved and they're going to run out of it. And with the rate of inflation, even today's report, by the way, on an inflation-adjusted basis, you know, people were, you know, sales were basically flat. You know, because the increase in sales basically matched the inflation rate. So this, the consumers got the same amount of stuff as they did before this inflation really took off. So when we get to the back half of the year, that savings is going to start to run out. The one thing I've seen from the American consumer is they will spend until they run out of money. And they haven't run out of money yet. But when we get to the, to the fall, I think, that, I think we're going to see more problems. And that's where I say, again, the value-based retailers are going to thrive. The companies that never really fixed their business, we're going to see that they never really fixed their business. And there are going to be big problems in some of those sectors. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering about. Jerry Storch, thank you. My pleasure. And coming up on Power Lunch, our powerhouse road trip heads to Cleveland. The national housing market showing signs of slowing, but a frenzy of activity is happening in Ohio. We'll look at what's making the market stand out. Plus, investors hitting the software stocks hard this week with the ETF down more than 7%. Some names down more than 10%. Which are the ones worth buying on the dip? That's coming up on Power Lunch. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Power Lunch, everybody. We're on the next leg of our powerhouse road trip, hitting six cities this summer for a look at how the housing market is changing. Today, we arrive in Cleveland, Ohio. According to Zillow's latest report, the median home price there is a little under $187,000. Sales are up 30% year-on-year, 50% for the month. Inventory down 10% from last year, still up from last month, and 51% of homes are being sold above listing price. For more, let's welcome back Kim Crane, broker at Howard Hanna Real Estate Services. Kim, it's good to have you. That median sales price sounds a little low. Maybe you can expand on it for us. What are the price dynamics you're seeing? You know, we're seeing high, high demand and low supply, as you mentioned. We're still not up to the 2018 and 2019 numbers, and people are really wanting to lock in those rates and take advantage of where we are now before things 
climb at this time. Right. But what are some of the properties that you're seeing? I mean, if these numbers are right and sales are up 50 percent month over month, 30 percent year over year, I mean, this sounds like 2021. It sure does. It's actually even stronger. Our second quarter of 2022, we were seeing multiple offers, homes that were listed for 289, selling for 335, seven offers or more, no inspections, waiving appraisals. People are just eager to get in and lock in that rate. How much is the market shifting, though, and how active are investors in this market? I keep hearing from from various regions, you know, friends who are either trying to sell or, or, or whatnot, saying that even week to week, things are changing. You know, it always simmers down a little bit in the summer seasonally, but we can say that it's still strong here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we're proud of that. Um, you know, we have multiple offers, sold multiple homes over the weekend. People want instant gratification. They want to move in and have everything turnkey and ready to go because it's so hard to get work done anymore, whether it's a painter or a kitchen remodel, just there's not enough um, workers in, in high demand, you know, to get projects done. So people are willing to pay a premium for things done right. Who are these people? Where are they coming from? And what about mortgage rates? Well, you know, it's still at, at a, for a jumbo at 5% or, you know, a conventional five and a half. It's all reasonable. It's not code black here yet. So we are in a good place. You know, we do see people relocating back to Cleveland who are in bigger cities and finding that they don't need to live in the bigger cities anymore. And, and they're trending to the suburbs and they're finding, um, you know, to trend as a little smaller communities. Um, let's see. Lower inventory. Uh, let's see. Uh, 51% of homes being sold above lift, listing price sounds still like a terrible environment for first-time home buyers. What are they doing? It, it is hard. You know, we're, we're trying to give everyone an advantage here. We do see a lot of cash in the market, um, but if they can get in and lock in now, um, you know, just waiving appraisals and inspections when possible, um, you know, it is. It's hard. It's hard to get in with FHA and other situations, but um, we try and come up with some creative. Uh, approaches to get them in here. Where do we go from here, Kim, if you had to predict what the summer and fall are going to look like in Cleveland? Well, you know, we don't have enough new construction or national builders here. So it is, you know, the, the supply is just not enough. So um, we are glad to see that things are still strong. And, you know, we're hoping that continues and we don't want to be all doom and gloom. We're still in a good place here. And, um, you know, it's a good place for buyers to get in reasonably and then sellers, you know, take advantage of this market at this time. Well, it's a remarkable counterpoint to uh, the housing crash narrative that's going around on a macro level. Kim, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Kim Crane. Coming up, more on this market climb today. The Indice is currently higher across the board. The Dow on pace for its best day since late June. Session highs are near them across the board, but it's been a cloudy week for cloud stocks. ETFs uh, tracking the space all down more than 5%. Are there hidden gems in this drop? Plus three firms reiterating their bullish calls on big tech while slashing their price targets. We're gonna discuss in three stock lunch and the crypto crack spreading between uh, crypto bankruptcies and price declines. What's the scope of wealth destruction in the space? We'll see. Power Lunch is back in two. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. 
thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Power Lunch. I'm Dominic Chu. Check out shares right now of United Health Group, which are higher by nearly 5% so far today. The best performer, by the way, in the blue chip Dow Jones Industrial Index. After the health insurance giant reported quarterly results that topped analyst expectations and also raised its full year forecast, due in part to stronger results at its Optum Health Unit, which does things like pharmacy benefits management and provides health care services. Now, by the way, not only is United Health the best performing stock in the Dow, it's also the most heavily weighted given its high share price, meaning that out of the roughly 570 points we're up right now, 170 of it is just UNH alone. John, I'll send things back over to you. Wow. That, that's a healthy contribution. Uh, let's get uh, Courtney Reagan now for a CNBC News update. Court. Hi, John. Good afternoon. Here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The House passing the Women's Health Protection Act on a 219 to 210 vote. The bill prohibits governmental restrictions on access to abortion services. Texas Democrat Henry Colner was the only Democrat to vote against the bill, joining all Republicans. The House also passed the right to travel for an abortion. Both bills now head to the Senate, where they are expected to be defeated. Donald Trump's top White House trade advisor, Peter Navarro, rejected a plea plea offer extended to him by the government in his ongoing contempt of Congress criminal case. Navarro was indicted earlier this year on two counts of criminal contempt of Congress after refusing to comply with demands from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol attack. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention releasing new data saying people ages five and older in the U.S. who aren't vaccinated had a six-time greater risk of dying in May when compared to those who had at least one vaccine. At this time, 67% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated, while 78% have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Kelly, back over to you. All right, Courtney, thank you very much, Courtney Reagan. Time now for our ETF tracker. This week, we're looking at the cloud computing stocks, which have taken a dive. The sector saw outflows of $178 million as of last night. A couple things driving the action that lowered outlook from Unity Software, job cut announcements, and some of the big players having cautious commentary like ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott in a CNBC interview. Added all up, some of the names seeing outflows include the First Trust Cloud Computer ETF, the Global X Cloud ETF, and the Wisdom Tree Cloud ETF, all down a percent or more this week. Now the data comes from our partners at Track Insight. More available is more information is available on the FT Wilshire ETF hub, she said, John. Well, let's say more about that. Still ahead, more on the cloud and software stock slump underperforming the broader markets this week. We'll be right back. We've got 90 minutes left in the trading day and we want to get you caught up on the markets. 
Stocks, bonds, commodities, and the software stocks coming back down to earth. Let's begin with the rally and Bob Pisani. Bob. Five to one advancing to declining stocks, John. That's a pretty good number for a generally down week. This is the only up day for the week. The problem is the volume's not there yet. We're not seeing enthusiastic buying. It's sort of an exhaustion uh, of the sellers at this point. But what they are going for is a little more of the growthier part of the market. So ARK Innovation, Kathy Woods having a good day. Tech in general is having a good day. Consumer discretionary, retail on the strong retail sales numbers, good day. These are all growthy sectors of the market here. Let's take a look at some of the other sectors. Uh, big cap tech, good day overall. You know, mixed week. You know, Apple's uh, up about 1% uh, overall for the week, uh, but that's up today. Microsoft's uh, still overall down for the week, but they're mostly on the upside. Uh, NVIDIA up, Google up, but Google's had a tough week. Uh, Alphabet down about 6% for uh, the week. Uh, elsewhere, another strong day. People are playing the travel and leisure uh, play right now. So we've got some of the casinos that are strong today. Uh, the airlines generally are up. Uh, Hilton and some of the uh, uh, the hotels also having a very strong day. They're among the biggest performer in the S&P 500. Uh, banks are having a good day because Citigroup helped turn everything around. Uh, but don't kid yourself. Uh, yesterday, we were putting up 52-week lows for all of the bank banks, all the money center banks, all of the big Regional banks like PNC Financial were at 52-week lows. PNC had a decent report today, so they're turning around a little bit. But again, not a good week for the banks overall. Finally, for the S&P 500, eh, we're down about 1% for the week, John, uh, but still in a trading range. At 36.60, that was the old low for the S&P. That was back in the middle of June. We're 36.60 to 3,900 right now. You can see that just about 50 points below that. Not bad considering all the pressure the markets are under. John? Yeah, a lot of distance travel. You can see those hills uh, on the S&P chart, Bob. Thanks. Now the bond market where yields are falling, the yield curve narrowing as we wait to see what exactly the Fed's going to do with interest rates later this month. Rick Santelli tracking the action. Rick? Well, you know, if you look at retail sales, maybe in certain ways you could say it was about right with respect to the Fed. And I'll tell you what I mean. The numbers look pretty good. Adjusted for inflation, they didn't look quite as good. But Fed fund futures for December of the end of this year are up about eight basis points today. And we see that interest rates like a two-year note yield are unchanged on the week. What I garner from that is, is that the market isn't acting as though retail sales was strong enough to be that 100 basis point push. I'm still in the three quarters of a basis point camp. And while Two-year notes are basically unchanged on a week. Look at this week in 10s. At 292, they're down four on the day. They're down 16 basis points on the week. Open the chart up to early June. Boy, it was in mid-June. We closed just a whisker below 3.5%. Not only has that become very elusive, just 3%'s been elusive. Think about that. Look at the week in Boone's. Boone's closed down 22 basis points on the week. They're at 113. Three weeks ago, they were at 177. HYG, the high-yield ETF, as the intensity in fixed income moderates a bit, they're going to close at a five-week high. And finally, this week in the euro versus the dollars, you see Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we flirted with 100. Today, we weren't really close to it. And even though it moved away from that level on a weekly chart, it's still the lowest close since the third week of November 2002. John Fort, back to you. All right, just try to predict what comes next. Who knows? Thanks, Rick.
Oil closing for the day as, pres as the president touches down and fist bumps in Saudi Arabia in an effort to lower energy prices. Pippa Stevens has the numbers. Pippa? Hey, John. Well, oil is getting a boost today, but still on track for a fourth negative week in the last five as recession fears weigh. Brent crude is back above 101 with WTI right around 97.74 for a gain of 2%. President Biden, as you said, arriving today in Saudi Arabia, but officials saying no immediate output boost should be expected from the kingdom. Now, the White House officially announced this trip back on June 14th, at which point WTI was trading at 119. Obviously, a lot has changed since then, and we're now below 100 bucks. So PVM noting that ultimately the president's case here for more Saudi oil has been significantly weakened by this latest price drop. Now, looking at Nat Gas, it is up another 6% today and crossing above that $7 level for the week, up more than 16% for the best week going back to April. And all this translates to a boost for energy stocks. Every component is in the green, led by the refiners, Marathon Petroleum, 50, Phillips 66, and Valero John, all up more than 3%. All right, Pippa, thank you. Software stocks higher today, but having a rough week. S&P Software and Services ETF underperforming the broader market, down about 6% week to date, on pace for its second negative week in three. Unity Software, Freshworks, and E2 Open Parent Holdings all down double digits since Monday. Joining me now to discuss the software slump, Brent Bracelin, Senior Research Analyst at Piper Sandler. Brent, um, <laughs> Confusing action to be sure, but also there just doesn't seem to be a lot of belief in software, right? I mean, there's a couple different ways that you could look at, for example, what Unity did this week. Maybe they picked up some uh, a good acquisition at a decent price, or, or maybe they're just spending money. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think the so I think you have to put it into perspective. Looking at one week, let's put the software group into perspective. Looking at uh, a group that's been down consecutively for eight consecutive months. This is a group that's down about fifty-two percent since November alone. So, yes, it's been a tough week. You've had some specific catalysts uh, that are weighing on some of these indexes, but we're still up month to date. Um, July actually is the first. So far, uh, month to date, um, slight bounce that we're seeing in, in, in cloud software, but I, there are a lot of concerns out there. You have, uh, we took our numbers down at Microsoft um, uh, last week around FX. Uh, we're going into earnings season here in July and August where we expect pretty challenging kind of numbers as you think about the possible growth resets in the software space, as you start to think about some of these increasing recessionary risks starting to to impact uh, cloud spending intent. So it's been a challenging eight weeks. Yes, it's been a challenging week. Unity Software specifically made a, a, a very strategic acquisition, uh, but uh, that's basically going to create uh, an, an environment here where the ARBs take over the stock for the next basically six to nine months until that deal closes. So right. more of a company specific issue there around Unity. Which makes me wonder, is it, is it even worth talking about software as a whole in this environment where on one end you've got Microsoft, which is sort of fortress software, and people feel like, well, even in a down environment, they're so diversified. They've got consumer. They've got enterprise. They've got small business. They've got subscription. And then you've got smaller players that aren't necessarily enterprise. Maybe they're gaming players. Maybe they're dealing with small business. Maybe they're uh, pre-profit, and they're a lot more volatile. 
software is a big category and it's a big category because of the attributes of software. These are reoccurring revenue models, generally high gross margin models. Yes, over half of the cloud 100 that we track is unprofitable. The other half is profitable. So it's painted with a higher risk lens. That is completely appropriate. But if we go back and look at some of the lessons from 08, 09, what we saw when Salesforce was a high risk, high growth company that was not generating profits, um, it uh, was one of the first names to see a sell-off in the names, but it was also one of the first software names to actually rebound. Uh, Salesforce in 08, 09 actually went up on the first number cut there. And a year later when growth troughed, um, the stock was actually double from where it was when it uh, first cut numbers. So uh, there is a lag. Uh, the market overreacts here on the, the upside. These were names that were overvalued. We overshot the upside. We're likely to overshoot the downside as well. Yeah. But it is important to note that software uh, typically bottoms from a stock perspective four to 10 months before fundamentals bottom. And just as we saw it top out four to 10 months before the rest of the market, Brent. So Salesforce has now returned 4,000% in 20 years. What are a couple of names that you think have that kind of upside potential in your coverage space? So we think it's really important to be selective. We've actually outlined four different routes that have different risk characteristics. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll just uh, stick with the play it safe route. These are the names that are the names that have the highest free cash flow potential. These are names like Viva Systems that sells software and has helped digitizing that drug process, trying to reduce the time it takes for uh, life sciences companies to develop drugs. And that's a company with 40% free cash flow margins, uh, very attractive uh, entry point here if you want to play it safe route. Uh, we also like Salesforce, again, here with the sell-off. It looks pretty compelling. It's actually a lower valuation, valuation multiple than Oracle. So those are two names and in that play it safe camp that we would recommend. What if you really... What if you really wanted to take a flyer and just go at furthest out on the limb that you can go? Where would you have people look? Yeah, two of our favorite flyer names that we think could be very big businesses longer term are MongoDB. This is a modern database company powering modern applications and Bill.com, which is really <laughs> digitizing the small business finance stack for small businesses. So those are two names. If you're willing to close your eyes, take a little risk now, look out <laughs> five years, they could be big companies. And in the break, John will explain to me what they do. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, David Acheria and Renee Lassert running those, uh, veterans who have been through downturns before. Ah, uh -huh, very. That's an endorsement, if I can call it one. <laughs> it's, a, it's an observation. An observation. Brent, thanks very much for your time today. Brent Bracelin of Piper Sandler. The crypto chaos continues. Both investors and companies still seeing big losses amid the volatility. We will break down the action next. But before the break, a programming note. Tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, we have a CNBC special report taking stock the state of the markets. We're all trying to figure out what exactly state they're in. We're going to hit every corner of the market to get actionable trades from leading analysts. You won't want to miss it. Stick around. We're back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Cracks just keep forming in the crypto market. Embattled crypto lender Celsius now filing for bankruptcy. It owes nearly $5 billion to users, and it marks the third major crypto firm to go bankrupt following Voyager and Three Arrows. Here to discuss the losses we're seeing is our own Mackenzie Sigalos. Mackenzie, welcome. I wish it were a, a better topic, but I guess the biggest question everyone's asking at this point are that are people who put their money onto these platforms going to get it back? 
Right. So you take the example of Celsius, which just went bankrupt. It has 100,000 creditors, which includes Sam Bankman-Fried's Alameda Research. And then it has 1.7 million customers. I mean, who do you think is last in line to get their money back? And the, the setup was such that these customers who gave the money to the platform, they weren't getting collateral back. There was no protection there. So it was this high risk, high reward situation. And customers are very much the ones left holding the bag. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily presented that way, though, because no. <laughs> it was an idea of APR. You're going to get this guaranteed crazy high interest that you couldn't get from a savings account uh, in the environment we were just in. Is that whole model likely to go away or stick around? Well, that's exactly it. There's actually a lawsuit right now that's related to the implosion of the Terra USD stablecoin project, which is where a lot of this crypto contagion began back in May. And Binance was a platform that was saying, hey, this is a safe, you know, this is a safe investment to make. So people are taking issue with that. To your question of, is this going away, this easy money, these double-digit APYs, it's certainly looking like the riskier platforms that didn't have a strong business model aren't going to survive. I mean, you had Celsius that was essentially bringing in new depositor funds to pay out old obligations. Uh, They were also, uh, they're being accused of running like a Ponzi scheme. And they were investing their own money in other platforms offering double-digit APY in order to keep this whole thing afloat. That being said, there are some platforms that operate a completely different business model. You've got Aave and you've got Compound, and they're investing capital in a money market. They're, you know, over-collateralized. They've taken different precautions. They're not offering you as, like, 20% APY, but it is a place where you can park your cash. We're seeing the tokens associated with those lending platforms up around 20% in the last 24 hours. Hmm. There is confidence in the space. Meantime, the miners are still going strong in some cases. We saw them, though, pausing activity in Texas for that blackout. And energy usage has been another controversial part of crypto and of Bitcoin, obviously. Six uh, Democrats in Congress, including Elizabeth Warren, say that seven top crypto mining companies use as much energy as all the homes in Houston. We should expect, I imagine, this scrutiny to continue if the entire industry isn't decimated by, you know, the end of the year. Right. But the narrative that is coming from the other side, those proof of work miners, virtually synonymous with Bitcoin miners, they're saying we're flexible powers, like power buyers, right? We'll turn off if there's a lot of demand on the grid. And the reason why it's good to have more demand is because Texas has all of this renewable energy and adding like wind and solar power to the grid isn't like automatically a win. You need you need to be able to even out that demand, even out that duck curve. And that's what Bitcoin miners are saying that they're doing. They're like, okay, we're at peak demand. Everybody's using their AC units. We'll turn off. But when nobody is using power as often at night, we're going to come back up. And that, that, that's key for pricing, right? Because you can have power prices go negative. You can have them go very high. And so when you can even that out, have it be stable, it's a win. Hmm. I just wonder if a casino can easily convert into an arcade. Because that's what they're trying to do, right? It's going from this gambling, everybody come, and then the buffet is running off from the hotel rooms to, actually, you got to put a quarter in this, and then you play, and then you got to put another quarter in, or I guess it's probably 50 cents now. Right, exactly, a dollar. You know, we'll see what happens to the industry and and demand for all these coins when it's not so, yeah? Yeah, attractive. We're seeing liquidity washed out, and the people who remain are going to be well-placed to do well because a whole lot of others are, are being swept out. Yeah, and very quickly. Mackenzie, thanks. We appreciate it, Mackenzie Sagalos. Coming up, tech target cuts. Firms cutting price targets on Microsoft, Snap, Netflix. Should you buy big tech? Our trader will share a take next.
Welcome back. Time for today's three-stock lunch. Three big tech analyst calls today right ahead of the start of earnings season. UBS reiterating Netflix is neutral but cutting its price target in half on subscriber growth concerns. Maybe a little late for that. BMO reiterating Microsoft at outperform but also dropping the price target to 305 a share on Forex issues cutting into forecasts. And J.P. Morgan reiterating Snap as overweight despite the brutal stretch for the stock, saying the company just needs time to reestablish credibility. Let's bring in Scott Nation's Nation Shares president and CIO to trade these names today. First up, Netflix. Do you think it's gotten cheap enough, Scott, to binge on it here? And that is what really matters here, John. Absolutely. I would be a buyer of Netflix. Uh, congratulations to UBS figuring out subscriber growth is going to be a problem. Welcome to the party, Powell, pal. Uh, <laughs> it has gapped down really horribly the last two earnings announcements. But investors have overreacted. It, the company went from doing no wrong to can't do anything right. And the changes that they're making, that is ending password sharing and the new ad-supported platform, uh, that they're going to launch with Microsoft are really going to help. PE now of 16. Uh, surprisingly, Netflix is quite a bargain, and I'd be a buyer. Well, we're starting to hear a lot more uh, cautious bulls on that one. It's going to be interesting uh, next week. What about Microsoft? Uh, you know, Microsoft is, is the blue chip in the tech space. Uh, they do have some legitimate problems. Uh, FX is going to be a problem. The consumer PC market is going to be a problem. That's about 30% of their revenue. Those are all valid. Uh, it's not quite as defensive as we would have hoped. It's down from its 52-week high, just about the same amount that the NASDAQ 100 is. You would hope it would be had been a little bit more defensive uh, with a trailing 12-month PE of 27 and a current year PE of 22. It's not cheap, but... You know, it's, it's a strong number two in the cloud space. I think it's a hold to accumulate. And the interesting thing about the cloud space, somebody is going to spin off their cloud division. I don't know if it's going to be Microsoft and Azure or Amazon and AWS. When that happens, that is going to be fun to watch. Mm, will it, though? Okay. Final <laughs> name, Snap. It's crackling today, but can it pop higher? Yeah. I remember when Snap came out, we all loved the idea that our messages would eventually disappear. I think all that's disappearing with Snap is the opportunity to make a profit. They pre-announced disappointing Q2 revenue and earnings expectations, and now they're expected to post a loss. I, John, I don't know why you'd play in this space at all right now. Twitter is 50% from its 52-week high. Meta, more than 50% from its 52-week high. Uh, JP Morgan says that Snap's problems are macro in nature. I think they're specifically micro. Uh, specifically their inability to monetize users. Company is trading at four times current year estimated revenue. Uh, Snap is a sell. All right. That's the one you don't like. Scott Nations, thank you. Thanks, John. Up next, the beaten down S&P stocks that are bouncing the most today. We'll tell you about some of the biggest movers. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Dow is up 598 points, so just a little bit off the session highs. We had been up as many as uh, 657, I should say. JPM, Goldman, and United Health all leading the Dow, interestingly enough, with JPM because it was the laggard yesterday. Some of the most beaten down S&P 500 names are seeing a big bounce, though, and Dom Chu is here to catalog them for us. All right, so if you take a look, I mean, we went through the count, and John Kelly, about maybe as of 30 minutes ago, there were about 30 stocks in the S&P 500 
that have fallen by around 50 percent or more from their recent highs. So if you put that in context of the S&P, remember, from the record highs that we've seen, we're down roughly 20 percent from those levels. So some of these stocks are brand name large cap stocks that have taken a huge hit. And this is the debate about whether or not there's a certain value that you can fall by where you start saying, hey, maybe it's worth picking up, even if I don't think the prospects are enormously great going forward. So I'm gonna, I've picked out the top three, the three biggest drawdowns from their recent highs. The number three spot for this, a name that we kind of been talking about for a while, that's Netflix shares. We know that since the highs, it's down around 70-some percent from those levels. So that precipitous drop there, but you can kind of see that consolidation area down at the bottom here. Is there a point at which you could start to see a little bit more buying interest? And the reason why I bring it up is it's one of the best performers in the S&P, up by about 7.5% right now. The number two biggest fall in terms of the overall from the highs is in a name we talk about as well, Etsy. Hmm. Again, again, you can kind of see this consolidation area coming down here, but also, again, some like two-thirds plus of their value gone. So one of the best performers on the session today in the S&P, up about 4%. And the one that has fallen by the most... Tech and tech adjacent. We're talking about PayPal. So fintech has been one of those hard hit areas. And remember, there was a time when we were talking about PayPal as rivaling the market value of some of the big banks out there, like Citi, B of A, even JP Morgan at one point. Was it on track to kind of get up there? Well, that move that we've seen now lower has it up by about 6% so far today, even though, as you can see here, it's lost three quarters of its value over the course of the last year. It's been a steady decline. So as we talk about this notion about the stocks that could see some of these more volatile bounces. It's not that anybody is trying to call a bottom. We know that's a fool's errand. But as people look at some of the stocks that have had a precedent of being very high before and have lost a lot of their value now and are now kind of big on some of these up days, that's kind of, kind of, kind of be where you look. So you look at the list and you say to yourselves, which stocks have been there before? Will yeah. they be there again? And then you make the fundamental arguments for why the valuation may or may not be relevant at this point. Dom, how much of today's action quickly do you think is a recalibration from a bet that the Fed has to do uh, 100 basis points to today? Oh, no, just 75. I think a good amount of it, right? Because, I mean, you can make the academic arguments all you want, but at the end of the day, a lot of people use formulas to assess values. And some of those things involve capital asset pricing model where risk-free rates come into play and those treasury yields matter at that point. So how much more are you going to pay for a stock? What's it really worth if you can get risk-free guaranteed money of a certain level at a higher rate? Who knows? No, I think you're right. University of Michigan was a biggie. Right. Dom, thanks. John, thanks. This was fun. We appreciate everybody. Thanks for watching Power Lunch. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.